We are doing a series called Party of Twelve. Um, this is an interesting title, so let me see if I can catch you guys up if you're coming in on week three. So Party of Twelve represents the 12 disciples, although what we've learned is Jesus had tons of disciples. He had tons, like hundreds of disciples, and out of all those disciples, he selected these 12 specific men to be we would call them 12 apostles, but most people won't use the word apostle. They say disciples. So we are looking at these 12 men and what makes them unique. And what we're learning is they didn't really like each other. They, they, they were sometimes the opposite ends of how they saw the world. And yet they all came together and changed the world. And what was it that allowed them to do that? And, well, we know it was Jesus, right? I just gave you the answer. You could feel good about it. So if I said... What did they have in common? You would say, don't, don't you feel good, the, the three or four that, you, that just jumped in there and did it, right? I gave you the answer. I'm like a teacher that gave you the answer. So it's Jesus. And so here's your big idea. And, and if you're new to the church, big idea is my way of saying that I'm going to talk for the next 25, 30 minutes, sometimes a little bit longer. And you're not going to remember everything that I say, but if you remember this one statement, you'll get it. And here's the big idea for this entire series, who we have in common is more powerful than what we don't. Now, you know, unless you have lived under a rock without social media access, you know that we live in a divided culture right now, right? It's, it is crazy divided. And so it's easy to focus on what we don't have in common. If I just don't do it, if I gave you the chance like for 30 seconds to, talk, to just yell all the things that we don't have in common, we could fill that 30 seconds with plenty of stuff that we will never probably agree on. But who we have in common is, is way more important. We want to give you, um, help you kind of understand, like, resources, things that are available to you. There's things that we'll never cover, even over the next five weeks, about all these men. But there are things that can help you as you prepare for, um, like, the election that's coming up. And so I want to give you a resource. We'll put it on our website and on our Facebook page. I read a book this past week. Just a really short book, even if you're not a reader, and be proud if you're not a reader, raise your hand. Every student, every student in the house, like, I'm not a reader, right? Even non-readers can do this book. It's very short, and it's a book called Before You Vote. It's not a political book. It's just about, like, how can Christians, answer two questions, what should Christians be thinking about before they vote? And then also, what do you mean, like, it's possible for Christians to both love Jesus and not come to the same conclusion? The answer is yes. Right, And so it's a book written by David Platt. It's, it's very short. Answers ask seven questions that we should all be asking before we go vote. And it's all about Jesus because we know that he's what we have in common. Who we have in common is way more important than what we don't. So we focus on the things that divide us, and he wants us to focus on him. So that first week of the series, we talked about Jesus. We talked about how he was the life of the party. There would be no party of 12 if there wasn't Jesus. Yes? we got to have Jesus. And so every time you come here during the series, every time you take notes, you should just like at the top of the page write Jesus because it's all about Jesus. If we don't have Jesus, then there's, no, there's nobody to have in common. And so they have him in common. That's the first week we talked about that. And then last week we talked about Peter and Andrew. And I'm trying not to typecast these guys, right? But can we just sum up last week this way? Andrew, we learned, was a bringer. And Peter was a mess. Is that fair? Like, turn to the person next to you and say, you're like Peter, right? I mean, like, all of us can relate to messes. 
We might not be able to relate all the way to Andrew because some of us might not be doing, like, always bringing people to Jesus. But Andrew was always bringing people to Jesus, and his brother Peter seemed like he was always making a mess. And so as we go into these different weeks and we talk about these different, different disciples, I've kind of got an idea, like, what I want to say about them. And I was positive. I knew that today, when we talk about another set of brothers, James and John, um, I just knew that we were going to talk about, wait for it, you're going to love this topic. We were going to talk about anger because I know nobody can relate to that, right? Nobody here is like, I'm never angry. But then God just, the last day, day and a half, like after I had it all, I don't know if you've ever preached, but, you know, my sermon prep goes like this. God, what do you want me to say? How do you want me to say it? And then I get it all figured out. And then I pray. You can ask Wendy. Like I pray my sermons like not around them. I just go somewhere where there's just me and Jesus. I'll just pray. And as I was praying through the sermon, I just felt like God was shifting it and just changing it a little bit. So he's definitely given me a little bit of a different direction. So I'm going to ask you to give me a little bit of grace, right? Okay. But I want you to see what the Lord dropped in my heart this past week as I started preparing for this morning. I'll tell you in a minute why I thought we were going to talk about anger. But before I do that, I want to show you a short clip from The Chosen. The Chosen is... Um, you can get, download the Chosen app, and then you can watch. There's, I think season one has eight, eight episodes. You can see uh, like kind of backstories about the disciples. The people that put the Chosen together are very, very clear that this is not a replacement for the Bible, right? But what they're doing is they're showing you kind of like how these, what they know for sure about these men from historical documents, but also what, what could possibly have been true about the men that doesn't take away from what Jesus did. So as you're watching, I don't want you to be like, that's exactly what I read that in the Bible. No, they're, they're taking the Bible, they're using the Bible, and they're helping us to see kind of the color of the characters behind it. We're going to pick up where we left off last week, which was Peter being called to follow Jesus. And it's just a really short clip to kind of introduce you to these two brothers, James and John. Follow me. I will. You as well. Yes, you, James and John. Come, follow me. Take the fish into market and settle up Simon's death. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Ima? <laughs> We've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives. And you ask me, what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> go, now. Okay, so... Let me show you what it says in Mark chapter 3, verse 17. This is the, the passage where it lists all the 12 disciples, all the members of this party of 12. And it talks about um, their names. And sometimes, like with a couple of them, it gives a description. And here's what it says about James and John. It says, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, 
But Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. And that's why when I first thought about James and John, I was like, I know we're going to talk about anger because like sons of thunder, right? He just sounds angry, right? I just knew we'd be talking about anger. So I've been preparing, doing all this reading, just studying about anger. How does God want us to use our anger? Does he even want us to have anger? All that kind of stuff. And then God just did a little bit of a shift. But before I get to the shift, let me tell you why Jesus nicknamed them sons of thunder. Somebody asked me, somebody just say, why? We have no idea. Like, literally, like, the Bible never says. This is the only time it's mentioned, and the Bible never explains why did Jesus give them that nickname. But most Bible scholars would say that it's probably related to their character. There's probably something about, something about them that Jesus understood because we know that Jesus knew all things, right? He understood the heart of man. And so he probably gave them this deservedly. I just picture, I picture the other ten going, yep. Yep, sons of thunder, Jesus nailed them. He knows them, right? So I just kind of picture it that way, and it just got me thinking. I couldn't get past that. Like, what was it about them that would give them that title? And so here's two scriptures that will kind of point out maybe what Jesus already knew. Number one, Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 21, says this. Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to Jesus with her sons. She knelt respectfully to ask a favor. What is your request, he asked. And she said... In your kingdom, please let my two sons, everybody say my, my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. Basically, she came and said, Jesus, we recognize that you're number one, but I'd like my boys to be numbers two and 2.1, and I'll let them fight out among themselves which is going to be which, right? So you can kind of see, and even when they said that, it started a big fight among the disciples. You can see how even James and John learned from their mother how to, like, say something that could cause, like, you can see thunder there, right? Like this big fight about who's going to be number one, and it just causes this, like, contentious back and forth. I can see where Jesus would think thunder, right? But the one that really gets me is Luke chapter 9, verse 54. The whole story here in that chapter is that Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem, and on the way to Jerusalem, he needs somewhere to stop and stay, and so he, he sends his disciples on into Samaria to see if they can get a place for him to stay. And so when they go to Samaria to find out if they can get him a place to stay, and the Samaritans who could not stand the Jews, and the Jews didn't like the Samaritans either, when they found out Jesus was going to Jerusalem, they were like, uh, you're not staying here, right? So basically they told Jesus no. Not that anybody here would ever do that, right? But they did. And what it says in Luke chapter 9, verse 54, is that when James and John saw this, when they saw these Samaritans rejecting Jesus, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? That was their response. Like, I don't know if you've ever been around somebody who said no to Jesus, but they basically were like, God, if you'd like us to kill them, we will. So Sons of Thunder could potentially be well-deserved, Yes. And that's what got me thinking about anger. But then here's what grabbed my attention. It's the part that says in Mark chapter 3 that Jesus gave them that nickname. And I was like, Jesus, what, what, what is that about? Why would you do that? Why would you give somebody, was that like a joke? Was it a slam? Were you just like, make, were you like pointing out to them like all their failures? What is that about? What is that all about? And that's when I got the first takeaway. I'm going to give you three takeaways today. Here's the first one. The enemy tries to lock us in with labels. I mean, labels, mm. how many of you used to play the game where 
I think somebody actually did it this morning after first service where you try to get labels on people's backs without them knowing. You ever done that? You're just like, hey, buddy, right? And you slam that thing on there. Um, when we were, when I was youth pastor, it was like, kick me. That was the big thing, like our loser or whatever. Like you would put labels on people, and they wouldn't even know it. And it's, it turns into a little game. Like how many labels can we get on these people before they even recognize we've done it? I want you to know this. The enemy is who tries to lock us in with labels, and he uses people to do it. You've probably seen this happen. If you went to school in the public school system, I don't know if this happens in homeschooling or not, maybe, I don't know, but public school for sure, from earliest grades, like first grade, there's one or two people that get labeled a troublemaker. And as you go through school with your same classmates, you can be a senior in high school, and if there's a commotion in the classroom, the teacher is looking up at that person every single time. And look, 98% of the time, they're probably causing trouble. But even the 2% when they're not, the teacher identifies them because labels stick. And can I just tell you this? The enemy sticks labels on us in order to keep us stuck in that place. They're not always bad either. I'm, I'm going to tread lightly here, okay? I'm going to divide the entire church into two. Here we go. Either you are a thinker. Or you are a feeler. My guess is you're married to the opposite, right? Usually that's how it works. So if you're a feeler, then you're like, man, we should worship all the time. And if you're a thinker, you're like, when will they stop singing, right? And you know what's funny? What's funny is that we put those labels on ourselves, and then we allow those labels to keep us stuck. So I know people who will miss out on really powerful worship because they say, well, I'm a thinker. I don't do that singing stuff. But I also know people who love to sing and who miss out on really powerful teaching because, well, I just like to sing and I just like to feel. And we label ourselves that way. Sometimes people label us and sometimes we do the same thing to ourselves. But the end result is the enemy wants you stuck in that place. Does that make sense? He wants you stuck in that place. That's why he puts a label on you. So that took me to this next question. Is that what Jesus did to, to James and John? Was he labeling him? And the answer is obviously no, because Jesus wasn't used by Satan. So what was Jesus doing? Why did Jesus call them out? Here's what I want you to write down. Second takeaway. Jesus reveals who we are in order to set up the miracle of who we're becoming. Let me just make sure that you got that. Because that is so good, y'all. Jesus calls us out. He reveals who we are now because he's setting up the miracle of who we're becoming later. So he looks at James and John. He goes, sons of thunder, I've heard of you, right? I made you. <laughs> he knows them. He calls them out now because he's setting up the miracle of who they're going to become by the end of their journey with Jesus couple scriptural examples, okay, really quick. James chapter 3, verse 6. So this is the same James that wanted to call down fire from heaven, remember, and kill those people. And James chapter 3, verse 6, that same James wrote this. And among all the parts of the body, the tongue is a flame of fire. It is a whole world of wickedness, corrupting your entire body. It can set your whole life on fire, for it is set on fire by hell itself. That man who wanted to call down fire and kill somebody, 
wrote later an epistle that basically said this to the church, learn how to be quiet and not use the same tongue to praise God and curse man. That's what he realized. He knew that. He changed as he went through his life following Jesus. Acts chapter 12, verse 2 tells us that he was the first apostle to be martyred. And then his brother, John, who also was in on the whole, like, let's kill him gig, right? That man went on to write a number of books in the Bible. But in 1 John, that man who wanted to call down fire and kill people used the word love 40 times in five chapters. The man who was known as a son of thunder became known as the apostle of love. And listen, this is a transformation that only Jesus can pull off, right? He was the last of the apostles to die, and only because he survived being boiled, by, boiled in a, a vat of oil. It's like if you can think of like taking a big vat of oil, heating that thing up, and dropping him in. He survived that. God delivered him from that, and then he lived a natural life, if that's part of a natural life. So one brother is the first to die, and one brother is the last to die. And both of those brothers are completely different at the end of their life than they were at the beginning. So what was it about Jesus calling them out that allowed him then to change who they were? This is the last point I want to make. Jesus Jesus calls us out so that we can partner with the truth. Okay, let me explain what that means. So if, if they say, hey, you're a son of thunder, what they could have done was act as if they weren't. Now, I'm talking to a bunch of people who come to church, so I'm, I'm kind of making the assumption that we know how to put a smile on our face and pretend like everything's okay, even when it's not. I'm not advocating for that. I think that's awful. I think that we should be in a safe enough place where somebody could say to you, hey, how's it going? You can be like, it's terrible, and it's okay, because they would grab your hand and be like, let's pray about it. How can I help? But we've gotten used to kind of putting a veneer over things, like, hey, it's all going to be okay. I'm going to act like I am better than maybe what I actually am. Or I'm going to act like my life is good, even though maybe it's actually not. And so what I want you to know is that when we partner with the truth, what we say to Jesus is, you know what? What you just said about me is true. And I'm not going to pretend like it's not. And so when he said, you're the sons of thunder, I believe that they learned how to live their life honestly before Jesus. That as they walked with Jesus, they never tried to hide that part of their life. And so Jesus was able to transform that part of their life. I've said this for years in youth ministry, that God can change an honest heart. There's an interesting story in the Bible. It's in one of the Gospels about two sons. And one of the sons was asked by his dad to go out and do yard work. I'm totally paraphrasing here. It's like, hey, son, go do yard work. And the son said, sure. And he never went. And then the other son said, never. And later on, he changed his mind and he went and did the yard work. And Jesus said, the son that said no at the beginning, that was the one that was justified. And there's something about being honest with God, about saying, you know what, you're asking me for something. And I'm not sure I want to give that. You're calling me to something, and I'm not sure I can do that. About being honest with him about where we are that allows him to then change our heart. And that's what we learn from James and John. 
is that when we come honestly before God, he's able to change us. Listen, let me give you two more verses. 1 John chapter 3, verse 18. This is, again, John. So we've been on this journey with John. He wants to kill people with fire from heaven, and then he becomes the apostle of love, right? And then listen to what he says about truth in the book that he wrote, 1 John three eighteen. He wrote, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. And in his brother James, this is what he wrote in his book, James 1.18. He said, he, God, chose to give us birth through the word of truth. Listen, honesty is huge in the kingdom. Coming with full honesty and saying, God, I partner with who you say that I am. Not with who that person that slapped the label on the back said I am. And not even with the label that I put on myself. I'm coming to partner with who you say that I am. And you know good and well that if James and John were standing right here and we heard Jesus say that they were sons of thunder, what would we have called James and John the rest of their lives? Oh, y'all, sons of thunder, come on. And y'all, y'all missing the whole point. You didn't come honestly to God with that part, right? We'd have, called them, we'd, have, we'd have called them that the rest of their lives. We would have seen that label, taken that label, and attached it to them and kept them in that place. And what God wants us to learn from their life is that when we bring ourselves to him, he's able to change us. This is your, it's your last takeaway. Our honesty about who we are opens the door to who God wants us to become. And not just honesty for honesty's sake. I think sometimes we're, you know people, if, you, if this is like you, don't raise your hand, but you know people like this. I'm sure it's not you. People who speak their mind freely, do you know these people? They always tell you what they think. Always. And even if they're jerks, right? And then when you say stuff like, that was kind of mean, they will say this, that's just who I am. Do you know those people? That's just how God made me. God wants to change you, right? He, was, he did not make you a jerk, right? But that's their, their, their comeback is, well, I, I just, that's who I am. I just tell people, I just tell it like it is. So you're a son or a daughter of thunder, right? And you've attached a label to yourself and you've kept it. I'm not talking about personality. I'm talking about being a jerk or not a jerk, right? And so what God wants to do is he wants you to come honestly and say, you know what? You don't want me just to be honest for honest sake. You want me to be honest as a starting place. So if I will be honest with you about who I am and I will allow you to speak into my life about who I am, then that's the place where transformation begins, And then you continue to change me until I look like Jesus. Does that make sense? It all begins with honestly coming to Jesus as you are. Man, this is huge, y'all. This takes away all the need to pretend to be a certain way. This just allows us to be honest with the Lord, to stand before him and say, you know what? You desire truth in my inner parts. In the deepest part of who I am, you desire truth. And so I'm going to allow you to speak truth into my life. Jesus never labels you or me. Never. He calls out who we are so he can set up the miracle of who we're going to become. So much so, two things, and then we'll wrap up. When Wendy and I were talking about this message, because I was like, oh, my gosh, I think God's changing the whole thing. And does this make any sense at all? And we were talking about John by the end of his life. 
Wendy knows that he's sons of thunder. Like, we all, she knows that. But when, as we were talking about it, she's like, I don't even think of John like that. I think of John as like, you know, not trying to make y'all men feel bad, right? Because I know I just led us in worship, so I think everybody should just love worship. But, like, I know people who are like, I, I don't sing. I'm a man, right? I know that stuff. And, like, I'm thinking, like, there's nobody who is more of a man's man than John, right? Like, call down fire from heaven. That's man's man. And by the end of his life, he's, he's, a, he's the guy at the Last Supper who's, the Bible says, lean back on the chest of Jesus. That doesn't sound manly to me. But that's who he was at that point because he was so in love with Jesus. And then he writes every, every letter he writes, every gospel he writes, he's so in love with Jesus that he talks about love all the time. And that's what Wendy said. Like, I can't even picture him as a dude that's like the thunder guy. I picture him as like the guy that's leaned back on Jesus' chest. Transformation. I've said this to y'all before as your pastor. Like, this is my sister, Laura, and she went to my mom one time, and she was like, I'm so concerned for Paul because he's going to abuse his wife someday. So y'all laugh awkwardly because you think we're making this up. But, like, she legitimately meant that because I used to hit her all the time, right? And, like, I had so much rage and so much anger inside of me. And the crazy thing is Wendy will look at me and she'll be like, I can't even imagine that. Not like I'm not perfect at all, but I can't even picture that guy. So that's the transforming power of the gospel. That's what happens when we put who we have in common in the forefront. It's Jesus. And when we come honestly to him and say, look, I don't know why you would call me. I'm a hot-headed person. I'm a son of thunder. I don't even know why you're calling me. But if you're calling me, I'm going to trust and partner with truth. There's something in me that you're going to do that I can't even imagine. So I'm just going to say yes. And when we just say yes and partner with who he says we are, transformation begins. And so here's how I want you to close this morning, okay? I'm going to pray for you, but I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to quickly take an inventory of your life. We use this phrase a lot, take an inventory of your life, and just begin to look at where you are right now, and just ask yourself a couple of questions. Is there somewhere in my life that I am living with a false identity because somebody put a label on me And I took it as my own. I recognize now that the enemy has locked me in with a label, and I have bought the lie of that label. You'll know that you've bought the lie when your description of who you are isn't I deal with or I struggle with, but your description is I am. Whatever comes after M is your identity. And if it's not who Jesus said you are, then you've bought a label. Don't buy the lie of the label and rip that thing off. I want to read you one last scripture. It's from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul's writing. He's writing some pretty harsh things to the church in Corinth. Starting in verse 7, he says, The very fact that you have lawsuits among you means you've been completely defeated already. Why not rather be wronged? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you yourselves cheat and you do wrong and you do this to your brothers and sisters. 
Or do you not know that wrongdoers will not inherit the kingdom of God? What he's basically getting ready to do is he's basically starting to rip off a bunch of labels, y'all. He says, don't be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who have sex with men, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor slanderers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Anybody get to the end of that list and go, gosh, that's me. And then he says these words, and I want you to hear these words, y'all. He says, and that is what some of you were. But you were washed and sanctified and justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ by the Spirit of our God. These labels, that is what you were. But it's not who you are. Because when we come honestly, and when I read stuff like that in the Bible, can I just tell you how I read it? I don't ever think about y'all. I mean, I don't know if you read the Bible like, "Mm mm-hmm, yeah, I need to read this to you right now. I read those verses, and I'm like, God, is that in me? Is that in me? Because transform me. Change me, right? And whatever whatever's in the inventory of your life, just tell them that. God, there's power in the gospel to change me. I want my testimony to be, and that is what some of us were. That's what we were, y'all. But now, now, because we came honestly before God, he takes that honesty, and it's an open door for him to transform us. And so I want to lead you in an honest prayer, okay? I want you to close your eyes. I want you to I want you to think about those, those areas of your life where maybe you've been labeled or you've adopted a label, where you recognize this morning as we talk, just the Holy Spirit's revealing a, a false identity and where Jesus is transforming you, where he wants to transform you. I say this to people all the time about our church. Hey, at the gathering, come as you are, become more than you were, go farther than you ever dreamed possible. You just come as you are. Jesus, what we're learning about these 12 men, Jesus, is that you just accepted them. You brought them up next to you. You knew who they were. You looked at James and John. You're like, you guys are sons of thunder. But I have plans for you. You knew who they were, but you also knew who they would become. And so I pray right now for my friends, God, here at the gathering. I pray for this house I pray, Lord, that we would learn the power of coming honestly to you and simply saying, God, you you got me. You nailed me, man. You know me better than I know myself. But it also means that you can change me. And I'm going to come to you as I am, but I'm trusting you that I will become more than I was and that you will use me to do things that I never dreamed possible in this world world. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.